The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get to Peter Cheer, head of macro strategy at Academy Securities. So, Peter, thanks very much for joining us uh, for this half hour leading up to our interview with David Malpass. So it should be good. Well, inflation, I wouldn't say it's exactly peaking, but it's in the process of peaking. That's what it feels like. But the Fed doesn't seem to be ready to be patient to see what the effects of the rate hikes that they've already made will be. So we're still expecting something aggressive. You probably heard me say Yardini expects 100. The market expects 75. Your thoughts on that? I think we probably get 75, but I do think the Fed is kind of pushing on making a mistake because even you look at last week's CPI data, which kind of roiled markets, a big part of it was the housing inflation was 0.7%, and that's based on owner's equivalent rent. And I think there's just a massive lag effect. When you look at any sort of you know contemporaneous data on the housing market, it is softening here. Mortgage rates are above 6%, so I think they risk pushing this. And no matter what they do, I think they have to send a message that they want to give some time to see how markets are going to be impacted from what's already been done and that they remain data dependent. If he comes across as aggressive as he was at Jackson Hole, markets are going to be in some severe trouble. Tell me something here, Peter. I mean, ultimately, is this, you know, I think it was Daddy Blanchard from uh, Dartmouth University, where he's a professor, talking about how the uh, Fed is actually raising rates uh, at a time when he sees inflation dissipating. He accused uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Fed of actually then perhaps uh, going and essentially pushing the U.S. economy into a deep, deep uh, dive and uh, saying that they were really uh, victims of groupthink. Yeah, I would say along those lines, you know, there's a reason traders have stop losses, right? If you make a bad decision, you want to get stopped out. And I think if you look back, it was pretty clear we probably should have ended QE last summer. And when they were giving reasons for keeping QE last summer, it was about bond market liquidity, etc. And yet bond market liquidity, especially in the Treasury market, was better last summer than it is now. I think they missed transitory and are now making up for that. And two wrongs do not make a right. So I think we're supposed to be... As you know, Danny says, let's be a little bit cautious here. Let's see how things play out. And I think we're going to find that the politicians and mainstream media are going to realize that job losses and a recession are far worse than a bit of inflation. But, Peter, the, the Fed is looking at a housing market that, I mean, these rents are not going to come down anytime soon, probably, because, I mean, it's part of the nature of things. Rates are high, so nobody's buying now. 
And so, you know, people will rent and there's demand. And so the rents are going to stay high. And that's a third of CPI. So it's going to take some time. One, there's a lag effect in how they calculate the rental equivalent. They basically, I think, take about one-tenth of the homes. So I think they heavily understated the inflation that we are seeing on the rent a year ago. But now they're going to be overstating that for a period to come. Peter, we're just talking about the, about the Fed. I just want to just conclude on that subject, essentially, by asking you whether uh, Jay Powell has turned, and heaven forfend for saying this, t- turned, uh, turned Paul Volcker just at the wrong moment. Well, I think Jackson Hole gave him the opportunity to sound very, very hawkish. There were no Q&A. There was nothing he had to respond to. I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult given where yields are, what we're seeing in some of the economic data, and even stocks for him to sound quite as hawkish. I expect he'll kind of come across a little bit dovish here and there, not massively, but just enough to spur a little bit of a relief rally. And the other thing I'm looking for him to talk about is quantitative tightening, and if they can do something to address the market's concern about needing to sell mortgage-backed securities, that's been a big part of the rise in mortgage yields, which has really hit housing. So look for him maybe to say something about that, where maybe quantitative tightening switches a little bit more to the Treasury side of things rather than the mortgage side. It feels like we do have some residual strength in the U.S. economy, and I'm curious how we can measure the slowdown, uh, the slowdown in housing, for instance. Is it prices falling? Is it the number of transactions dropping, uh, general activity? Is it rents? And then when you look at the economy, it seems like both consumers and companies, uh, their balance sheets are looking okay. So I'd agree that consumers and companies, the balance sheets look okay. Um, particularly the investment-grade companies, I'm fine with that. You look at some of the retail spending numbers, though, they were okay, but not great. You saw, and what's concerning me is on the retail sales, you also saw it in the um, jobs numbers, you're starting to see revisions to past data. So maybe it was too optimistic. Where I'm stuck in this is we're really trying to figure out, okay, where's the ball going to be? Where should we be moving to, not where we're at? And you start looking at mortgage rates, what you're seeing in the housing data, what you're seeing in terms of um, confidence, whether it's builders. You look at the inventory overhangs. You start looking at the Baltic Dry shipping. Things to me that are better leading indicators have all rolled over a little bit. So I think you're going to see the... So you'd rather see patience. I mean, let's put it this way. You'd just much rather see a little patience from the Fed. That's your basic point. Yes. I think I'm really concerned they've already gone too far. And let's not push it even further. Let's see where this thing plays out. And look at housing, right? The cost of carry was negligible. Inventories, cost of carry was minimal. All those now have real cost of carry. Let's see how this goes out. Let's see how the winter plays out in Europe, because that could be a disaster economically as well. So rather than pushing this too far, let's say we've done a lot. We're going to not pause, but we're going to be very, very data dependent. And we want to see where this is playing out. And I think that's necessary to keep the economy on pace. Peter, has the strength of the dollar been a hindrance or a help for the U.S. economy? You know, I think it's been good in respect that it's been driving down commodity prices since most of those trade in dollars. But I think it's going to be tough for companies who have to translate earnings back to dollars. So right now, I would say it started the summer as being good because it helped push inflation pressures down. Right now, it's about neutral. If it continues, I think people are going to be really worried about U.S. earnings. Because we've moved so far in certain directions, uh, particularly with the dollar, but also with a a pretty broad sell-off in equities, Uh, if you look at the equal weight ETF uh, for the S&P 500, those valuations are not high at all. Those those stocks have suffered a lot. I mean, really, 40 50%. Um, 
you wonder whether or not if the Fed pauses or if it does 50 instead of 75 or 25 instead of 50, whether or not it just kind of unleashes revenge uh, reversals. So what are you thinking about in that area? I'm less concerned about how much they hike and more about the messaging. And I think if the messaging is that we get a pause, I think we get a very nice relief rally. What I'm seeing, it's we switch from overbought to oversold at record pace. You know, two weeks ago we felt overbought. Now we feel oversold. So, yes, I think that could raise a really nice rally. But then I think we're going to have to sit back and say, what are earnings going to look like? Where is cash flow coming from? And I keep looking at crypto. I think we get a short-term bounce in crypto. But if that falls off, I think it's going to be a symbol that all these very aggressive assets that rose from almost nothing to really high could continue to go down. And, yes, they're down 50%, but many are still up 50% or 100% or 200% from two years ago. So I think there's more room to fall. And if we are headed towards a nominal recession in the U.S., not just a real recession, but a nominal recession, which I think is a real possibility, no pun intended, we will see further pain in equity markets while yields fall. So we have not yet seen a really good risk-off type moment where yields go much lower and equities fall. And I think that's going to be the final capitulation. I think we get that sometime later this fall. Peter, what is the deal, in your view, of uh, quantitative tightening, and how is it playing out with regards to liquidity in the economy itself? So I find it easier to think about quantitative easing first. And to me, quantitative easing pushed people out the risk spectrum. So when the Fed came in and bought treasuries, whether it's 10-year, 20-year, 30-year, whether they bought mortgages, it made people along the curve have three decisions. You could either take on more duration, you could take on more credit risk, or you could take on less liquid assets. And I think that pushed everyone out. And I use this example, it's called Newton's Cradle, but I don't know if you've ever seen those little things that have six balls hanging on strings, and if you lift the one ball, it hits the first one, and it's the last one that moves out. So I think that's what we saw when they were doing quantitative easing, that risk got pushed out, and you saw the cryptocurrencies of the world, you saw the archetype stocks of the world really just skyrocket, because there was no more risky asset for people to invest in, so that created the opportunity. I think with quantitative tightening, you're going to see the opposite, and you're going to see people be able to move down the risk spectrum, take less risk for the same returns. I don't think it's going to be quite as dramatic, because one thing to remember is the Fed was buying 10-year treasuries, 30-year treasuries, long-dated mortgage-backed securities. By and large, they're going to allow things to mature, so you're not going to have that duration impact. So it's not going to be quite as dramatic, but I think you're going to see on the 15th of the month and the 30th of the month or the end of the month, because that's when treasuries mature. You'll see pressure on markets as people have to deal with that lack of liquidity. So there's still pressure on the stock market, but does the bond market look fairly well supported here with a two-year yield really pushing 4%? Yeah, I think it's very well supported. I really think you want to own yields here. Even if the economy stabilizes, we do well. And more and more, I'm looking for that big risk-off move, so I do want to own treasuries. Rashad? Yep, looking at uh, the treasury market itself. And, uh, you know, do you think it's bottomed yet? I think it's very close, and you know we are talking, and we've seen people talk about, say, a 10% return for the long bond. And people, well, that seems aggressive in the next month or two. But if you look at the current U.S. long bond, the 30-year, it was issued around 98 cents on the dollar. It's trading at 91 in less than a month and a half. So that sort of potential return is there, and I think the upside is much better in the rates market right now than the downside. So yes, I want to own that. All right, Peter, we will close it there. Uh, interesting discussion. Thanks very much for, for joining us here. Peter Cheer, Head of Macro Strategy at Academy Securities. And- Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. 
the movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.